Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. Be still and know that God is here. In the name of the Creator, Redeemer, and Sustainer. Amen. Come and see. By God's grace, we are becoming a new and reformed church, the Episcopal branch of the Jesus Movement. Individuals, small gathered communities and congregations whose way of life is the way of Jesus and his way of love. No longer centered on empire and establishment, no longer fixated on preserving institutions, no longer shoring up white supremacy, or anything else that hurts or harms any child of God, by God's grace, we are becoming a church that looks and acts like Jesus. Thank you, Bishop Curry. You know, I thought about just letting this be a very short sermon this morning, I thought after that clip, perhaps I just say, yes, we want to become a church that looks and acts like Jesus, say amen, and then be done with our sermon. <laughs> but after today's readings and in light of the fact that this is annual meeting Sunday, there are a few more things that we should probably say. Throughout all of scripture, you would be hard pressed to find a more memorable and beautiful writing on the topic of love than what we just heard in the 13th chapter from 1 Corinthians. You will remember that last week in the previous chapter in the letter that Paul is now writing to the community at Corinth, he's writing to them to encourage them, to remind them of the teachings of Jesus. He had been with them for a number of years, and then he left to go plant a new faith community, and over the three or four years that he's been gone, they've started having some problems. So in this passage today, while this is often read at weddings and in beautiful settings, the original context of this writing was writing to a community that was struggling with this core identity, the value of what it means to lift up and act from a place of love in everything that we do and say. One of the very famous passages from this excerpt that we heard today goes like this. If I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Another transliteration of that same verse from the message reads like this. If I speak with human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love, I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. The passage goes on to say that even if we are all knowledgeable, all powerful, completely selfless, but we do not have love, we are empty and gain nothing. Throughout scripture, we hear stories of Jesus and how he underscores that value in all of his ministry, his willingness to put others first, to listen to those who are never listened to, to be patient with those that might get on his last nerve, to eat with those who had never been able to eat with someone before, to visit with those who may have nothing to give in return, 
and maybe those who just are challenging in any number of ways. And of all the ways that we are challenged to live some, what some would call a godly life, I think this invitation is the most fundamental and sometimes the most challenging. Paul is reminding this new community of faith, and by extension, I feel a reminder for us as well, that this is the bottom line. This is where the rubber hits the road. Becoming, as Bishop Curry so beautifully says, a church that looks and acts like Jesus means putting love at the center of all that we do and all that we say. And yet, inside of ourselves and all around us outside, I know that we see examples that simply do not reflect this core value, this principle, this singular and transformative way of being in the world. And on a day like this, the day that we gather to celebrate and remember the ministry that we share and look ahead, I think it's also a wonderful reminder that we do so amidst a very challenging backdrop. The church, and by that I mean us locally and churches everywhere, have acted sometimes more like an institution with a desire to self-preserve rather than as the movement of love that Jesus came to live and teach and encourage and inspire. It means that Paul would probably be getting ready to sit down and write to the Christian church in the 21st century right about now. I think there are any number of things that Paul would hold up as ways that we could do a better job keeping love at our center. I wonder what he would say about these things. What do you think church, Paul would say to the church who teaches to love the sinner and hate the sin? Is that not a rationalization to justify a desire to judge others so that the one doing the judging can stay morally superior? <laughs> what do you think Paul would say to the church that endorses the voices and opinions of some but excludes and rejects others based on any number of criteria? Is that not a rationalization to justify a desire to control and to enforce the hegemony of the institution? And what would Paul say to the church that criticizes the work of creative leadership and adaptive change rather than embrace the possibility of transformation and an expression, a new expression of God's love in the world? Is that not a rationalization to justify our need to repress our fear of change? Every time that the church judges, controls, and criticizes, I fear we do so ignoring the mandate to keep love as our guiding principle. And in the end, we end up looking nothing like Jesus. This morning's gospel underscores the primacy of God's expansive love even more. We hear Jesus suggesting that God's love and healing power are not reserved for those in any particular group or tribe or church. The references to Naam, the Syrian army captain, and Zarephath, the widow, infuriated the folks of Nazareth pissed them off, so much so that they wanted to walk him to the cliff and throw him over the cliff. These were stories of Gentiles who, through the prophets Elisha and Elijah, found favor in God's sight. These were outsiders. These were not good law-abiding Jews. 
Perhaps we could do better to understand the frustration of those hearing Jesus' story if we said something like this. These people were not members of the church. They didn't pledge. They didn't come on a regular basis. They never helped. They never even helped at Trinity at Home when we asked them many, many times. These were the people who expected church just to be there for them whenever they wanted to show up. And they were hypercritical. In fact, they were very vocal about the things they didn't like, not that they wanted to give any solutions for how to make it better. These people even had questionable beliefs. You know, I'm not even sure that they were really Christian. These were outsiders of the first degree. So why, in God's name, would they receive a blessing and not us? That's what Jesus was talking about. Jesus' message was trying to warn the people that God's love is not confined to any restricted group or doled out in any particular way. These two examples underscored in a very uncomfortable way for those people and probably for us as well if we think about it, that we are truly not in the driver's seat when it comes to God's love and God's grace and God's un ceasing compassion. When we think we can control any of these things, I think we're lacking humility. We're confusing our own ideas of God with, well, God. These were two brilliant examples of the wideness of God's love. Naaman was a powerful Syrian captain. Zarephath was a, power, was a powerless widow and mother. Naaman was sick and needed healing. Zarephath and her son were poor and would have died from starvation. Neither had done anything to warrant God's favor, and yet Jesus points these two out, lifts these up as examples of times when the prophets in Israel did not attend to their fellow Jews, but to do these two outsiders. So what could this mean for us today? How could this maybe help us remember that love and humility are essential if we want to become more and more the church that looks and acts like Jesus? What is God calling us to in this year ahead? How can we model and share that kind of reckless love and true humility in all the ways that we gather when we engage in downtown Toledo, when we come together for worship, when we spend time with our children, when we learn through classes and events, when we develop as leaders, when we work through the elements of our 10-year vision, and when we do all of the work that we're intending to do this year on our sacred building. Every single time that we come together, ways that we can be the church. I hope that these are extensions of an expression of the movement Jesus gave his life to share. I pray that some of those answers come from reading scripture and from listening to and looking at the way that Jesus was when he walked among us. Jesus did not spend time talking big, but doing good. Jesus did not go about chasing mysteries, but confronting realities. Jesus did not go about defending propositions, but telling the truth. Jesus did not go about coddling bigotry, but demanding justice. Jesus did not go about pondering eternity, but practicing love. 
Jesus did not go about judging others, but listened and accepted differences. Jesus did not go about doubting the power of love, but embraced radical transformation. In his book, God Has a Dream, A Vision of Hope for Our Time, the late and much beloved Archbishop Desmond Tutu described for us his dream of God's kingdom. He wrote, God calls on us to be God's partners, to work for a new kind of society where people count, where people matter more than things, more than possessions, where human life is not just respected, but positively revered, where people will be secure and not suffer from the fear of hunger, from ignorance, from disease, where there will be more gentleness, more caring, more sharing, more compassion, more laughter, where there is peace and not war. My beloved friends, in this new year of ministry unfolding before us today, may we too embrace the love and humility God has gifted to us through the life and teachings of Jesus as we attend to the work here in this place. May we also never lose sight of the fact that we are called to be God's partners, chosen, healed, forgiven, and loved, to go out into the world proclaiming Christ's love for all. And may we remember that being the church isn't as much about adhering to the needs of an institution as it is about finding a way to follow a path paved by Jesus and his way of love, no longer centered on empire and establishment, no longer fixated on preserving institutions, no longer shoring up white supremacy or anything else that hurts or harms any child of God, so that by God's grace, working together day by day, we will indeed become a church that looks and acts like Jesus. May it be so.